Indeed, Jesus did come to dwell among us. And he is worthy of our praise. And his spirit, the spirit of the risen Lord, is with us this morning. Church, God is with us. What a privilege it is as we as brothers and sisters in Christ unite together, come together week after week to worship the Lord who resides among us. For God is here. And for those that know him, those who know God through Jesus Christ, the presence of God is a comforting presence. It's an assuring presence. That doesn't mean that there aren't times in which he is a confronting presence when he confronts those that are living outside his will or not approaching him with faith in, in his son, Jesus Christ. His presence was such, just such a confronting presence in the Old Testament when God confronted King Ahaz, a king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century B.C. And God showed up and spoke to King Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. And Ahaz was, was threatened by surrounding armies, pagan armies, who wanted to take over his kingdom, wanted to threaten his, his own life. And God spoke to him through Isaiah telling Ahaz not to put his trust in any earthly king, but to put his trust in God, to display faith in God, to deliver him, to protect him, to sustain him through this, this time. In fact, he invited Ahaz to test him. To ask for a sign, any sign, that God might assure him that he is trustworthy in this. And, and Ahaz did not take advantage of that opportunity. He failed to exercise a full trust in God and he continued to, to trust in a foreign king, a pagan king, the king of Assyria, to come to his rescue. And he failed to ask God for a sign, but God gave him a sign anyway and we read about it in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, a well-known verse of Scripture, a verse of Scripture that we have already heard read this morning. But God said to him in Isaiah seven fourteen, he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. Many of your Bibles, you probably have a note there that says Emmanuel means God with us or God is with us. Indeed, this is a reference to the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. And like many Old Testament prophecies, it likely had two different fulfillments. It likely had a fulfillment in the near term in, in Ahaz's lifetime and then a future fulfillment, a greater fulfillment that we know in the greater context of God's word was the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. And it's that greater fulfillment of this prophecy and the one that this and other prophecies were about that we're going to look at this morning from Matthew's gospel. So let me invite you to, to open up God's word with me to look at the pages of Scripture with me in Matthew chapter 1. And as we look at God's Word together today, the central truth that we will see from His Word is that God came to us to save us because He loves us. The God of Scripture, the Almighty God, the one true 
God came to us in Jesus to save us because he loves us. I don't think it's any coincidence that Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. For Matthew is especially interested in connecting this Jesus who has come to us with the Old Testament prophecies that concern the coming Messiah. And he begins his, his gospel with the genealogy. We're not going to read that genealogy uh, this morning, but he does so for a reason. Intentionally connecting this one who came, this Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, to what the Old Testament had to say about his coming. The Old Testament was clear that this Savior would be a descendant of David. And his kingdom would be a kingdom that would never end. And so Matthew begins this way intentionally because he wants his readers to know that this one has come, that this eternal king whose kingdom never ends, has come and has come in and through Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to miss this. So as you find your place in Matthew chapter 1, let me invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 1, specifically we'll be looking at verses 21 through 23, but I want to read the surrounding pericope, the, the full account there, beginning in verse 18 of of this account of the Christmas story. Matthew 1, verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do acknowledge that the words of this book are your words to us. So, Father, we ask you to guide us by your Spirit in understanding them and applying them to our own lives as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, if you're familiar with the other New Testament accounts of the Christmas story, then you know that Matthew's account that we just read leaves out some of the details that Luke includes. In fact, here in Matthew's account of the Christmas story, we don't read anything about the angel's appearance to Mary or about Mary's visit to her relative Elizabeth, or about the reason for this young couple traveling to Bethlehem, or the less-than-ideal conditions of the Savior's birth. This is not because Matthew is unaware of those details. It's not because he doesn't care about them. It's not because he doesn't believe them, but because they are not central to his purpose in writing this account. You see, Matthew is very interested as a witness to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of his life, his 
death, his resurrection, his ministry. He's very interested in conveying through, through this account, through this story, through his gospel, who Jesus is, why he matters, and what he has come to accomplish. He wants his readers, namely us and anyone else who picks up this book and, and reads this story, to, to walk away knowing the identity of Jesus and the mission of Jesus, what it is that he has done. He wants us to know that in Jesus, God has come to us to save us because he loves us. And he's not so much interested in conveying. In fact, he certainly doesn't convey, at least not centrally, that that God has come to us to, to save us from a political dictator, an evil or tyrannical ruler. He's not so much interested in conveying that God has come to us in Jesus to save us from a mighty army or from sickness or or famine or other difficult things that we may face in, in this life. Rather, he wants to convey to us that Jesus came to save God's people from their sins. Jesus came to save God's people from their sins. Sins And the reality, church, is that sin is far more dangerous than any of these other things. Sin is far more deadly than any of these other things because sin against a holy, eternal, righteous, perfect God has eternal ramifications. And the Bible is very clear that every, every man, woman, boy or girl to ever walk this, this earth has sinned against God. We've all fallen short of the perfect standard of God. We've rebelled against God. There's only one sinless one to to ever exist, and it just so happens that he is the one who made us. It's the one that we owe our existence to, the one that we are accountable to. Because we've fallen short of, of his perfect standard, we are deserving of his judgment as a result of our sins. But Jesus came to save us from our our sins. For in Jesus God came. To us, to save us, because he loves us. The reality is that Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, taking on human flesh, was born on this earth that he might die for us. Jesus was, was born to die. In other words, Christmas happened so that Easter could happen. I know that's a rather simplistic way of looking at things, but... But that is the story of God's word. If we're going to fully tell the story of Christmas, then we have to fully tell the story of Good Friday and of Resurrection Sunday. For Jesus was born that he might die in in our place and display the, the love of God to us. We heard, read earlier, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world. So love the world, meaning those who are in the world, that, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The Bible is clear telling us that, that God came to us, was born among us as a baby in low circumstances in order to grow up into a man ultimately lay down his life as the perfect offering before God in our place because he loves us. In fact, John later tells us in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, that if you want to know what, what love is, 
Love is that Jesus Christ gave his life for us. And Paul is clear in Romans chapter 5 that, that Jesus was not just some, some man who wanted to, to give his life as an example or as a servant. No, this was God's plan. That God demonstrates his own love for, for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning that Christ's death was the plan of God for us. In our place, it was not his, his plan B. It was not his backup plan because we messed things up. No, he knew from the very beginning before he ever created us that we would rebel against him and he wanted to provide a way for us to be reconciled to him, restored to right relationship with him, forgiven before him forever. See, the poet Christina Rossetti got it right when, when she wrote, Love came down at Christmas. Greatest expression of love in and through God coming to us that he might give his life in our, our place, that we might be forgiven in him. Church, God came to us to save us because he loves us. And the reality for all of us is that most of us are ridiculously busy at this time of year. We have shopping lists and Christmas parties family gatherings and meals to prepare and decorations to hang and cards to send and church events to attend, thing after thing after thing after thing to do. But in all of this, especially as people of faith and the God of, of Scripture, in all of the responding, responding to invitations, responding to gifts, responding to letters, responding to traffic, Responding to stress. And all of the responding, let's not forget to respond to the message of Christmas. Church, let's respond to, to the true message of, of Christmas. And whether you're responding for the very first time to the true message of, of Christmas as displayed in the Word of God or responding for the 500th time, there, there ought to be an element of worship. Worshiping the God who has come to us, who is worthy of our praise. And there ought to be an element of thanksgiving, thanking God for the gift of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. God planned long beforehand and announced long beforehand that, that a Savior would come. That a Messiah would come. And He came. And because of the predictions and prophecies that were declared about this one who would come came to be true we can read a story like this Matthew chapter 1 verses 21 through 23 a greater context of God's word and give God praise because we see that he is faithful to fulfill his promises church God is faithful to fulfill his promises look back at Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 there we read that Mary will give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Greek name that, same as the name Joshua, meaning that the Lord saves. The Lord will save. Jesus, embodying that truth, that he would save God's people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He didn't go by Emmanuel. That was not his name. That is a title that refers to his role, what he would accomplish. Jesus came embodying the fullness of God in human flesh, that, that he is God among us. And his role, his purpose would be to reconcile us to God and and by his sacrifice in our place that we would be restored to right relationship with the Father forever experiencing the presence of, of God with us. Jesus is God with us. So you might have been paying attention to the presidential campaign trail the last few weeks and months. Anybody watch the debates this week? I'll tell you what, I would hate to be a politician. I mean, as a pastor, I have to be careful what I say because I'm often expected to say something. And sometimes even what I say is being recorded. You talk about pressure not to say something wrong or dumb. But that doesn't even compare to what politicians are presently under. They are under careful scrutiny all the time. Phrases and words and responses being digested to see if what they are saying is accurate and even possible. Reporters and interviewers are out to to catch them saying something that isn't true or, or something that might hurt their public image. Some of them, we know, are better at this than, than others. and They often give politicians a, a bad name. But, friends, when we look at the God that we serve, it's important that we recognize that God is no politician. God is not campaigning for anyone's vote. He is not doing things to bolster his intelligence or his credibility or whatever in the eye of the public. The reality is that God has always been on the throne and will always be on the throne. He is the eternal, matchless, sovereign king and and he does no wrong. God is totally trustworthy in everything. He never bends the truth. He never tells a half-truth. What He says He will do, He will accomplish. His Word never fails. And His Word has come about time and time and time again, just as He predicted. And perhaps the greatest example of that is in the coming of a Savior to us who would rescue us and gather us to be the people of God for all of eternity. If you want a greater appreciation for this God and His redemptive plan and what He has accomplished and what He will accomplish, then let me invite you to search the Scriptures concerning the Savior's coming. Search the Scriptures. Search God's Word. Carefully read God's Word concerning the Savior's coming. In other words, read the Old Testament with an eye for Jesus. Because ultimately, all of the Scriptures, Old and New Testament alike, are about this central character, this Jesus. This King and ruler over all who would give His life that we might be restored into right relationship with God. What God has said concerning this Jesus has has come about. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. 
the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so it happened. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In church, and so it came about. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 and 5 speak of the, the mission of of this Savior who came. Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. And so it is. That through Jesus, God came to us to save us because He loves us. But unlike a repairman who showed up to fix a problem, plumber or electrician or whoever else that comes in and fixes things and then goes about their way, God came to us in Jesus and His presence remains with us from now and forevermore. God is with us. He is still with us. According to the word of God, God is with his people in all ages. God is with his people in, in all ages. God assured Moses of his presence with him when he gave him a tall order. Moses, shepherd, was out in the desert and noticed a burning bush. We read about this in Exodus chapter 3. And he goes over to see what's happening here. Why is this bush on fire but not burning? And God speaks to him there tells him that he is calling him to go to his people, the Israelites who are in bondage and slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh, and to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses responds in great fear, fear before God and fear of the task that God is calling him to participate in. And God's response to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12 is, I will be with you. God says, I will be, be with you, a comforting presence for those who know who know God. Isaiah chapter 41, Israelites are experiencing difficulty, a hard time in their history. God speaks to them through the prophet Isaiah, telling them that He is still sovereign, that He is Lord, that He is working on His plans, on carrying out His plans for their good and ultimately for His glory. And we read His, his charge to them in Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 and following. He says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friends. In other words, you people that I have called to be my people. It says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest, farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Matthew, he's recording this account of the birth of a Savior who has come to us, wants us to know that this is the fullness of God with us. That Jesus is Emmanuel, but he also wants us 
to know that this same Jesus goes with us and will come again for us. And for this reason, he ends his gospel in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, with the words of Jesus, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church as Christians, God is with us, never to leave us, never to forsake us. So in all times, in all places, wherever we go, whatever we might face, as people of faith in this God, this Emmanuel, let's acknowledge his presence with us. Acknowledge the Lord's presence. In all that you do and wherever you go, as people of faith, when we wake up each day, let's acknowledge the Lord's presence with us. As we go about our day, as we get in our car, let's acknowledge the Lord's presence with us. When we go to school, when we go to work, when we go to the grocery store, wherever we go, let's acknowledge that God is with us. And as we wake up Friday morning of this week and and do Christmas once again, let's acknowledge that the Lord is with us. As we see Christmas decorations around, as we see nativity scenes, let's acknowledge that this Lord has come to us in Jesus. We see crosses hung on walls around necks and staked in the ground. Let's acknowledge that this one came to us that he might die for us because he loves us. And may the love of this God as displayed in the coming and living and ultimately dying of Jesus Christ in our place. May this love compel us as as followers of this king to worship him with our lives and all that we say and all that we do. And all that we think for, for his glory. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity once again to, to come together as your people. To worship you. To sing your praises. To open up your word. And Father, we, we praise you because you are a mighty king. A sovereign Lord. You are the king of kings and lord of lords. You are the great I am. Lord, you are our creator our sustainer, our redeemer and friend. Father, we pray that that your presence with us today and this week and forevermore would be acknowledged by us, that it would be obvious to us that we might give you the praise that you are due. Father, we thank you for coming to us to save us because you love us. Father, may, may our songs of praise to you now be an expression of our response of love back to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.